Hello. We are in a new era of quality <laughs> on American in Peril, the podcast. America's premier podcast by one girl woman who... I don't know where that was going. America's premier podcast by a girl woman. Welcome back. <laughs> um, I... This just took me forever to set up, so you can't see, because I think that they kind of look like garbage when they're in frame. They look really slick in real life, but there's just like this connotation, if you're using a, a Yeti blue mic, um, that you're like a Twitch streamer. I was almost about to say, or a podcaster, which is what I am. <laughs> I just, I'm beating the allegations on that. So uh, here, we have me. It's just me in frame with my t-shirt and my hair and my bangs are getting too long and a cardigan I've had since I was 15 years old. Today's episode. Oh, I had somewhere I was going with that. It's taken me so long to set up this new mic that my camera battery is already at half-life. So this might be filmed in chunks and that's okay. It's also going to be a super long episode, I think, because I did... A lot of research for this one and it kind of is something that's been on my mind and it means a lot to me and this is an episode that I I'm just very excited about so I'm gonna take my time with it that's why it's late uh whatever late is for this podcast I've been uploading like once a month so who cares anyway just bear with me with this one and have fun with it. I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's a new year. It's 2024. And I think it's we should give longer form content a chance. And I also think we should stop calling things content. I would like to think that what I do is art. <laughs> that might be generous. I, but that I, that's the emotion... I feel when I'm making this is that I am producing a craft. I'm crafting. Um, I'm not trying to meet like an algorithmic quota, you know, but uh, before I shove myself up my own ass, um, just introducing this. Hi, I hope you had a great holiday. <laughs> I hope that you had a little bit of a break if possible for your job, your profession, Maybe you're in school. I don't know. Um, my holiday was pretty good. I got like a week and a half-ish off. I saw my parents. I hung out with friends that were in town. It's, it's been pretty good. It's been a pretty good, solid uh, Christmas break. I nothing else to share there. Um, I got the mic for Christmas from my grandpa and his wife, Judy. Shout out to you guys. And we're back, baby. I'm also back to work, which kind of sucks. I mean, work is fine. If you're listening to this and you're my boss, work is fine. But one thing that I didn't do enough over the holidays, um, and that is sort of the point of this episode, is that I think it's really nice to go out and see people and meet people and be in the presence of other people. And I know that I said, like, I saw family, I saw friends. Yes, I did. I also didn't see as many as I would have liked. You know, it feels like the holidays used to be, like, at least in my family, like, such a big thing. 
Um, and I think like since some people in my family have like passed away or like people have just gotten less close, like that's not as much of a priority, I guess. Um, but also I think getting together in general is not as prioritized recently, like since COVID. Obviously, since COVID. I think people are a little bit avoidant of social experiences. I think in your daily life, like it's just, it's a good thing to do. I think you should be going out and seeing people, you know, people that you like. Like it obviously cutting off some family that like is shitty. Go ahead. I'm not, far be it from me to tell you what to do with your life in that way. But I just think that a lot of us like to pretend, and me included, that like going to a social gathering, a social, what's the word, obligation even, is not something that is worth uh, the mental energy, maybe that is not um, good for you even. I, this episode is me refuting that. I think everybody likes to pretend that they want to be at home sitting on the couch on their phone. And I just don't think that that's true. I think deep down inside, the majority of us would like to not be doing that. Um, <laughs> but that's what most of us do every day. There's like this little this silly little like line meme, whatever. It's like barely a meme. But like on Twitter right now, there's like the bit that's like, she should have been at the club. He should have been at the club, blah, blah, blah. And I think I'm getting to the age where I feel like memes are just kind of always bad. Like there's nothing really funny about he, she, he, she, we, she should be at the club, <laughs> but it's popular right now. I did a little digging. It appears the origin of the meme uh, was in response to someone tweeting about the mom, the mother bear of the Berenstain Bears. Um, finding out that she was canonically 27 years old, which is two years older than me. And she had two, I was going to say adult children. They're like, I, I, I don't know how old the kids are supposed to be. They seem like they're elementary school age. That's pretty fucked up. Um, and someone else responded, because they have the same response as, as me mentally. She should be at the club. So it's really not that serious of a meme. It's very stupid, even. Um, but it has really taken off. I found some personal favorites that I would like to share with you, which is that Joan of Arc was only 19 when they burned her alive, but she should have been at the club. Um, as well as Timothy Chalamet is really a stepdad at 27. He should be at the club. This basic idea is that somebody is an age where it should not be that serious, and you should be going out and having fun. Um, I will not be debating that the 25 to 27 contingent is too old to be a step parent or to be burned at the stake. That's not the debate that we're here to have. <laughs> I fall in that debate on the side of it is too young to be a stepdad, but some people do it. I don't care if that's what you're doing with your life. If that's what Timothy Chalamet wants to do, I don't give a shit. Maybe he's really good at it. And if he isn't, honestly, who cares? That They have enough, those kids are gonna be fine. <laughs> I don't think anybody's genuinely recommending that anybody go to the club, but I'm about to recommend <laughs> that you guys all go to the club. And I think it would be really healthy for you. And this is a disclaimer before I get started. 
and people get mad at me. If you personally are vulnerable to COVID in any way, like you're worried about giving COVID to someone in your life that is vulnerable to COVID. And by vulnerable to COVID, I mean like if you get it, you might die. Like you have some kind of cancer or diabetes or like disability or lung problem, asthma, severe. I don't know. This does not apply to you. I'm not saying, I'm not telling you that you need to go out and expose yourself to that. That's fine. I I don't have to tailor every episode to every person in the world. And if you fall in that contingent, this episode definitely is not for you. And I think that there are many other things you could do with your time. Um, Just a recommendation. uh, I recently started watching the new season of British Bake Off. That's so cute. Go watch that. That's going to be a much more sweet and wholesome time than what I'm about to do right now in front of a mic on YouTube and Spotify. Please subscribe. Anyway, thank you. I hope you have a great night. Bye. For everybody else, um, I have not spent that much of my time, admittedly, at the club. My time being my lifetime here on this planet earth that we call home. I actually, I went to the club for the first time at age 23. I'm currently 25. Although eventually I think I'd like to redact that and start telling people that I was born on 9-11. So let's pretend I didn't say that. But also, I only started going to the club two years ago. Um, It was like a pop music night. Um, Here in Portland, one of the bigger clubs is called Holocene. Um, and they do this night called Candy Pop. If you're in Portland, you probably have heard of it. Uh, but it is a DJ night where they basically tailor it to be like a middle school dance for in the like imagination of a girl, like a 13 year old girl. Um, and it's like current pop hits, but also like pop hits dating all the way back to like the 90s. And I, you know, I've gone back to Holocene multiple times since many times since then actually and it it rocks as long as you know what you're getting into i like a little indie music night i like uh my friend rachel and i went to an abba disco night that was fun that was at a different club but it was still great Holocene does like hyper pop charlie xcx themed nights which i love her i love that kind of music so that's always great for me um they do a lady gaga night but meaning to make it out to that That's the kind of thing I'm into. They also do like hip hop nights. They do like Latin music nights. They do lots of different kinds of things. And I think that that is the kind of environment that most people will, when I give you the prescription at the end of this episode to go out. Um, Those are the kind of environments that I think are very palatable to different kinds of people. There's also different kinds of, like, you know, there's not just dance clubs. And I've been going to different kinds of clubs for my entire life, right? Like going to local shows, like cover bands, even like a local house show where everybody's called like the rat house, the rat nest breeders. Those kinds of things are also, you know, going out, experiencing music with people, meeting new people, um, putting yourself in a situation where the expectation is to maybe have a drink and vibe and bring some friends, make some new friends. Um, It can take a lot of different shapes and forms, and I think they're all equally wonderful. So when I say club, go to the club, I don't necessarily mean like do like a Jersey Shore night out with your, what do they call those guys? Meat? No, 
Snooky's the meatball, right? What is what do they call men in Jer- Jersey Shore? I'm not saying go out with your grenades. No, grenade is an ugly woman. Why did I think that they Oh, I was just thinking of Guido. Well, that feels a little bit racially charged. Uh, I'm not saying you need to go pop some bottles in the ice like a blizzard. You know, you could go see a local band. You know, I just think those are good and important, objectively, in my opinion, ways to like spend your youth, youth being any time before 45. I have a very loose description of what youth is. And this might also just be the city I live in. And this is my gripe that kind of drove me to make this fucking episode is that Portland is a relatively, I think, boring city to be a young person in to some degree. Like, maybe this is on me. I need to go out and find the people who want to go out. But there really are a lot of young people here that have made an identity around not going out. I enjoy a glass of wine with friends. I enjoy a game night as long as it's on a Switch. Like, all that's great. I just think they're a vibe of its own, and they're also a vibe you can take into your later life. And you can't necessarily take clubbing into your later life. Well, that's a lie. I think you can. It's just, it's gonna look different, and I think that the majority of it should be done in your 20s and 30s, ideally. And I, you know, I have discovered about myself that I, I like going to a new weird bar every weekend. I like finding a new restaurant. I want to go experience live music as often as possible. Like, I like to go see people like doing karaoke. I want to go see a band. I want to see a DJ. I want to go out and dance. I want to like have a good time and feel the music in my body. And that is like a extremely important form of release for me. And I just, you know, I I, I want to feel something besides boredom, <laughs> which is what I feel most of the time at home. Walking is great. Going out during the day is great. But also, uh, I have a lot of shoes that are not comfortable. And I would prefer to wear those uncomfortable shoes at the club where they're meant to be worn. So, you know, I don't like a hike. So what what is there left for me in Portland if I don't like to hike? You see my complaint? You see where I'm coming from. But I also don't think this is like a Portland-specific issue. I think it's much more of a widespread issue. I'm literally going to be quoting from the fucking Surgeon General on this episode because I know that I'm right. And the Surgeon General also agrees with me. It's sort of like general knowledge at this point, but there is a quote-unquote like loneliness epidemic. Um, There has been a loneliness epidemic brewing among all generations in the U.S. prior even to the pandemic in 2020. We all know that. The Surgeon General did release a report earlier last year, 2023. The report is called Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. I think that's a play in my year of rest and relaxation. Slay. Uh, It includes some very instructive graphs, which if you're on YouTube, I will be popping on screen as I talk. But the graphs track between the years of 2003 to 2020. So I'll be describing them if you aren't on YouTube. Just bear with me. These are the graphs that I found the most interesting. Uh, The first being that social isolation, being alone in your house alone, averaged 4.75 hours a day, which is about a third of your waking hours in 2003. Now, well, 2020, it's up to 5.55, which is almost an extra hour every day 
spent in isolation. Uh, keep in mind, these are average numbers. So some people are likely spending a very significant portion of their time alone. Uh, and others are definitely not um, possible. Like if you were on Tumblr, like Spiders George situation, where like, I don't know, like the Reddit gooners are really rising this number up. But also like, I think that's not a very strong contingent of people. I think the average person is spending a lot of time alone. And that is a problem. And in terms of social isolation, the graph, the line, it goes way up. <laughs> like significantly after 2018. Like it wasn't necessarily like an easy increase of 24 hours a month over 17 years. It's like a small incremental increase for like 15 years. And then it shoots up after 2018. So this feeling of isolation that a lot of us are feeling is legitimate, it's recent, and it isn't necessarily rooted in COVID because this graph says otherwise. I'm gonna believe the Surgeon General possible I'm wrong, but also I feel like anecdotally, a lot of people were spending a lot less time out and about, uh, about halfway through my college experience. Like it was very hard to get people to go out. It was very hard to make friends. I don't know that many people that keep in touch with anybody from college. That's, I think, kind of weird. I think that's kind of generationally significant and it's obviously not helped by COVID at all, but something was wrong prior to that and then was worsened by COVID. Second graph, companionship, which in this case refers to like hanging out with friends for quote unquote shared leasure. So in that case, like, I don't know, you're hanging out at your house together. Maybe you're at a park hanging out, but like it's a chill time. It's not a party. It's like one-on-one -on -one hanging out time. That decreased 14 hours per month from 2003 to 2020, or from like an averaged 3.3 hours a day 2.9 with a significant downturn occurring post 2012 moving on to social engagement time so that would be considered going out going to parties uh that decreased an average of 20 hours per month from 2003 to 2020 so from one hour a day averaged obviously uh to 20 minutes a day so if you're someone who goes out for three to four hours at a time hypothetically that's like three ish engagements a month or like one really full night out a month this one is also interesting because it has a sharp downturn from the early 2000s until 2007 and then goes sharply up until 2013 at which point it has like a pretty extreme downturn through 2019 and then it dips even harder for 2020 for like very obvious reasons. I do think that's interesting because 2007 to 2013 kind of coincides with the aforementioned like Jersey Shore, like EDM dance pop era. I don't know if that's correlated or not. That's just a guess. I think that would be funny if it was, especially that being sort of like when EDM festivals blew up too. I don't know. Possible correlation. Don't ask me, I'm not a scientist. This is not a scientific podcast. This is me shooting shit. Just saying. So anyway, we have proof. The Surgeon General agrees with me <laughs> that people are not out, people are not socializing. Um, and the same study has some fingers to point, which include the steady increase of single person households and declining family marriage rates. Obviously that goes hand in hand. Low participation in religious institutions, social clubs, unions, other community pillars. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think there are bad things about that. You know, like the church is a community for people. I'm sure people who were in social clubs slash, you know, brotherhoods or, oh God, 
Yeah, we can leave those. Also blaming it on declining social infrastructure like transportation and third spaces. Third spaces being something we'll get into toward the end of the episode. And the influence of technology in displacing personal engagement, in-person engagement. To continue dispelling any worries about anything I would encourage you to do. I don't think it's necessarily at anyone's control to like have a family, get married, have any connections to religion. Um, I think that's a big driving force behind like the trad wife thing, which is something I have a real gripe about. Like the whole, I don't know, the trad thing in general is really annoying. The like going back, back to Catholicism trend that a lot of people are doing. I don't think it's necessarily a desire to be connected with people. I think it's more of seeking approval from certain people, but not actually wanting to be part of a community. Like it is very self-serving. And also those things do isolate women specifically. Like marriage connects you to another person, like having kids connects you to your kids, whatever. Maybe it connect connects you more to like extended family, your parents, I don't know. But I also found a British Red Cross study that found that up to 83% of young mothers in the UK feel lonely since entering motherhood, um, more so than before they were mothers. And over half, which was 54%, felt that they had no friends at all. Half. Half of mothers said that they had no friends. And I think, also anecdotally, that's probably true. I really enjoyed another article that I found by The Cut um, that dives into like social media trad wives um, because that's basically, I think, w what the trend is for. It's for social media. But it follows a TikToker that goes by Gwen the Milkmaid who started to work online as an OnlyFans creator before moving to like sort of a faux rural community, being like basically a suburb but you can own land. Sort of like where I came from, basically, which I would not consider genuinely rural. Like it still had 20,000 people, you know. She began posting about the benefits on TikTok of submitting to your husband, baking bread, uh, turning away from feminism and milking your cow and mixing the aesthetics of like cottagecore and homesteading with like regressive uh, gender politics. And she got a lot of followers uh, both people that didn't necessarily agree with her and just wanted the homesteading stuff and people that agree with her and wanted to see a woman validating uh, their opinions about where women should be. And it's really weird. I don't know. I don't like seeing women put themselves in that situation. I think it's sort of become the fourth wave feminism thing to be like, well, anything that a woman wants to do is feminist. I don't agree with that. I think there are certain situations you can put yourself in that are objectively negative and like are going to be impacted by your gender and putting yourself in a situation where you are dependent on your husband for money. Yeah, I guess it's great that you're home all day, but that's also sort of the opposite of what I'm saying in this episode, like, I don't think that's good. I think you're isolating yourself. A lot of these women probably don't have friends, especially not female friends. And it's just like, not healthy. And I don't want to see, I don't want to see more of it. And I know a lot of it is probably like a response to how shitty it is to work. Like, the workforce is really shitty right now for most people. Even if you have a good job, like there's a worry that you're gonna be laid off. That's always a possibility. But at the same time, like you're still reliant on yourself for your own survival at the end of the day. And I, I just don't think women should put themselves in a situation where they're reliant on their partner 
to live. Is that is that so wrong? I don't think that's so wrong. And another thing, <laughs> before we move on from this topic, I just don't understand about like the appeal of some of this stuff for people that aren't. Because like I do see women sometimes being like, oh, I don't agree, but I do understand the, the drive um, behind wanting to be like a stay-at-home girlfriend, wife, mom. Because like aside from the like serving your man thing, which like I think is clearly obviously bullshit. I don't think that many people actually believe that. I think it's a way to please the guy that they're dating. But I don't think that many people really believe it if they really were to sit down and like ask themselves. Anyway, I think a lot of these people seem to think that they're connected to their community and like especially would argue that they're more connected to their community than like the blue haired liberals in like any major city. But I just don't agree. Like I think like you're still isolating yourself to the fucking homestead, the land that you bought. Like you're still, you're situating yourself in that relationship with that guy or with the woman or with your children. Like that cannot be where your relationship with other people live and die. That's just not healthy. It's not right. And like I said, like stay at home moms are often really lonely in practice. Like I doubt your community is like amenable to you. Even if they share your politics, they probably think it's weird that you're posting on TikTok all the time. I know a lot of people probably think it's weird that I have a podcast. I've accepted that. But like, if you are sharing yourself in that way, a lot of people in your community are going, if you're in a small community like that, it's just, it's not about even the lifestyle. It's just about having something that gets you attention. I don't know. Anyway. And in terms of like the Catholic stuff, which like, there's been like a boom in Catholicism interest among people in Gen Z. And a lot of it is, I think, like basically LARPing. You're interested in the aesthetics, but you're not really interested in the religion. Cause it's like not, I don't know. It's not easily connectable to like the granola-y lifestyle thing, like the homesteading, like trad wife thing is, but it's like, yeah, I think way more connected to like fashion and trends. Cause like there was the Met Ball theme in 2018, the Catholic imagination. And you know, you had like Rihanna and like the Pope head dress thing. I don't know anything about Catholicism guys, so I'm sorry. And then you'll have like, and I am wearing God's favorite right now because of this topic, but like I own a lot of praying stuff, but praying did also I think play into this trend with like the um, father, son, holy ghost bikinis that they had. You know, it's also been like an aesthetic on Tumblr for a long time, you know, crosses, rosary beads, statues of, you know, Mary bleeding from the eyes or something. You know, it's fun to wear like a Catholic girl outfit, you know, wear a nun outfit on Halloween. It's just, those are things that are very much in our imagination are like, frankly, like mildly sexualized and like are very recognizable and alluring, um, especially if you didn't grow up with religion. And I just think, I've tweeted about this before, so I'm paraphrasing myself. And frankly, this has very little to do with the topic. It's a tangent, but I do think that young people gravitating toward religion, like right now, it's more of a pop trend. Like it's not about wanting to connect with God. It's not about like any personal feelings of like spiritualism. It's just a lot more to do with validating like a worldview that the world is steadily heading towards some kind of like reap what you sow situation, like a disastrous end that Catholicism and Christianity like kind of broadly pin on like an immoral society and a plan that God had in place from the get-go, like that this was something that was inevitable. That idea appeals to both leftists 
and conservatives for different reasons. Like it gives you set rules on how to live in a society that doesn't make sense and that there are ways to be like godly or correct. And then you can like honor quote unquote, like the world around you that's like baked into like scripture, right? I, I think that that can be comforting. Like I too do believe that we're probably headed toward like a disastrous end as humanity. I just think it's our fault. Like I don't think anybody had that in place. That's also me really looking into it. And frankly, I do think for a lot of people, it's just about the aesthetics um, and being countercultural because religion is like among young people now, like it's not the dominant culture anymore, at least like if you live in a city and that's like where these trends are happening. If you live in like a suburb, if you're like middle America and you're Catholic, like that's just what it is. <laughs> so this does not apply to you. And it's, I don't know. I just don't think it's about connection. I think it's about being quirky. Isn't that weird that being Catholic like makes you like quirky silly now? I will say, I think religion can be a good thing in terms of like connecting you to a wider community and forcing you to engage with people like regularly in like a positive, at least like that's the goal way. You know, you're supposed to be community building. You're supposed to be, you know, getting to know other families. Like you can rely on each other for childcare. You can rely on each other for regular planned events. And that's great. So I definitely am not going to knock that. I just think it's also not going to be for everyone. And at this juncture and culture, society, like it's just not, I don't think a viable, it's not gonna solve people being lonely. Like you should definitely shouldn't force yourself to go to church, you know what I mean? Any religion, don't force yourself to go to temple or a mosque if that's like even what your family wants, right? Like if it doesn't resonate with you and your chest, your bones, like, don't do it. Just simply don't force yourself to do that. I think that's very strange. Maybe this is my own brainwashing, but I feel like religion should be like a very, this is the point, it's, it's a sacred thing. And like, you should really mean it and feel it and not everybody can or will. I can't, so, <laughs> you know, like I would love to have that as an option, but it just does not square with like the, my personal feelings about like how the world works. And that's gonna be the case for a lot of young people because religion is not the dominant culture in, you know, East Coast and West Coast cities. And I think that's who's listening to my podcast. So that's who I'm keeping it to. Middle America, I don't know fucking anything about it. I lived in Chicago for a bit, um, but that is like, I think at its core, more of an East, well, it's a very Midwest city culturally. It is a coastal elite city in that the culture is going to match pretty closely what you would get in any other major city. I've really tangented on that. That's fine. I Like I said, this is gonna be a long episode <laughs> and I think all this is connected, so who cares? Anyway, some things the Surgeon General points to as negative impacts of the loneliness epidemic on the population are lower life expectancies, heart disease, diabetes, lowered cognitive function, increases in cases of mental illness, higher suicide rates, all of which are very obviously bad and all of which are attributed to different things. You know, you're not seeing people as much, so you're not going out as much. You get less healthy. Not talking to people makes people mentally ill. It sucks, um, but that's the truth. You go back to this, the this potential spiders Georges in this situation that could like hypothetically be dragging some numbers down. In this case, there's an argument that men are lonelier than women? I don't think I agree. But incels and gooners <laughs> have their place in this. But those I think are like fringe 
cultures, fringe ideas that are bolstered only by like Reddit algorithms and people making fun of them, which you should. It's embarrassing. It is like also a sign of, I think, like moderate severe mental illness, like caused by you being lonely. Like that's why these people are like that. If you don't know what an incel is, I suggest Googling it at this point. I'm not gonna explain that. I also don't want to explain what a gooner is and I don't think you should look it up, but it's somebody who spends too much of their time watching saucy videos online and they have caves in their home dedicated to it. So that's great. But I will say moderate to severe mental illness, as I stated, uh, is on the rise, especially in men. So there is some, I guess, credence to this. Men are three to four times more likely to die by suicide than women. Um, although women are more likely to suffer from depression more generally. I don't know. I mean, the suicide statistic is pretty worrying. That's not great. Something's going on with men. I'm not gonna deny that. Kind of relying on stereotypes here, but it does seem to be a general trend that men like grow out of friendships, I think more so than women do. And without like traditional roles that men have historically also grown into, you know, fatherhood, careers, <laughs> things that are more expensive and less accessible than they've been uh, to previous generations. You know, it does seem like a lot of men are lost and unsure about what to do with themselves. Like you don't have a family to provide for. If that was a goal, like that's out the window, I guess. Like women don't really want you to provide for them anyway, unless they're like the freaks on TikTok I just talked about. There is no model of masculinity that yet I think makes total sense for Gen Z or even like millennials, I guess. And it's easy to joke that like men have become podcasters <laughs> or that men are like DJing or getting into silly hobbies. That sounds healthier to me than, I don't know, like the alternatives that we've started to notice. Guys having new hobbies is a good thing. <laughs> Make friends with each other through shared interests. Also, that's not to say that like masculinity is even something that I think needs to be recontextualized necessarily. Like in my ideal world, like masculinity and femininity are just like possible aesthetic descriptors for people like i don't personally feel like my personality is all that feminine or masculine like i think that your personality should just be you right like not necessarily connected to your gender i don't think anybody should feel like they have to fit like a particular role to be like a good and happy person i don't think fatherhood or like providing were even particularly good goals for men in the first place. Like, I don't think they necessarily make men happy. You know, there's a lot of middle-aged men that I know that are not satisfied. And I don't think that that would change no matter where they're at. I don't know. Look at Don Draper. Is that, that a good enough example for you? You don't have, like, having it all does not fix you. I, I don't know. But I do think there should be some kind of rethinking of like what it is to like be a guy. Because <laughs> clearly something is wrong. Like I admire the men in my life because like the ones that I like. I admire the men that I like in my life because they do have like integrity, I guess. Like often I think that looks like calling out misogyny, like calling out people that talk weird about their girlfriends or, you know, have done weird things to women. And I think that's good. You should call that out, you know? Men, you gotta figure something out. I don't know. And it's not my job to do it for you, so. I think everybody's a little bit isolated by the internet. Like, it's not just guys that are being isolated by the internet. Like, I don't really see this as a uniquely male problem, even though I just said, like, obviously guys have some 
work to do. I don't think men inherently have a harder time keeping relationships. I've seen a lot of women fail to keep relationships. You know, most of the men in my family personally still have friends. Um, while the women don't, like they gave them up when they had children, they became the primary caregiver. Um, they, you know, are the one doing the basic household tasks. So that's like, that takes precedence. And that I think is still extremely common. And I don't think it's changed much with my generation either. Like, it's one of the main reasons I don't want kids. Like, I I don't want to lose my friends. I don't want to give up social interaction for that. Women are just as isolated, basically. Um, And a lot of it's the internet. Some of it's like gender dynamics. Yeah, I have seen women become isolated due to like internet stuff as well. Like, especially when Tumblr was big. I know I bring up Tumblr on this a lot, but it is like a huge frame of reference for me. Like, I definitely did see that at the time as like a primary form of social interaction when it wasn't in hindsight, you know, like the memories I have on Tumblr are important to me, but they're also not as important as like, you know, going to parties, going to sleepovers, taking trips to like the beach and stuff with friends in person. Like all of those memories are like everything to me comparatively. And I think it's really easy for anyone of any gender to get disenchanted with like living and like the beauty of being with people and like hearing people laugh and talk and like just know each other and like the intimacy that comes with knowing each other in person. You know, I think we get so overexposed to each other online that it's, you also get sort of annoyed with people. It's hard to see horrible things happening every day and like also like the minutia of everybody's life and just like the cynicism of online discourse, I guess like the, just like the way people talk to each other online, that's just not how people talk in real life. And I just think all of that stuff kind of culminates in like making you want to draw inward and like not want to reach out to people and not have that in-person social time. It's really bad. (laughs) And I think this is some, this is my last hot take of the evening before we get in. Well, that's so not true. This is my last hot take for this section. And this is something I think a lot of people are really not gonna wanna hear. But I think we're all gonna pay significantly for the normalization of working from home. Like, I think we all like it now. Like, I enjoy it. I'm half in office, half in person. I do feel like working from home in terms of having a job is more fun. But I also think there's something to be said for like one-to-one adult interaction in a workplace that a lot of people are lacking. And I think it is screwing with how people talk to each other. And it's not healthy. Like, obviously, I don't think your employer should own your whole day. I don't think your employer should own your life. I don't think they should make you come to the office. But I think it should be an option. I think it should be encouraged. I think they should provide enough reasons for you to want to go in and have that interaction, right? I just don't think it's healthy for like the average adult to be alone all day with no interaction with people outside of like a camera or within your family unit. I just said what all this did to stay at home moms. That's basically what you're doing to yourself. You're essentially doing that to yourself. And like, I don't know, is that really what you want? I don't think that's actually what I want at the end of the day. I don't know. I think that topic's probably its own episode, but I do see it as like a significant contributor to like growing social isolation problems. Maybe you don't like your coworkers that much. I'm lucky enough to like a lot of mine. 
but like at least they're people i don't know like you're trading that in for days spent just not talking to anyone in a lot of cases not all cases i just think that that's bad i don't think that that's a good thing anyway uh, new section <laughs> what came before the social problems that we've been having social problems being being antisocial. Like, did people ever really go out and have fun? Is this something I'm romanticizing? I don't think it is. I think people have generally been highly social throughout history in a way that I think we uniquely are not. Like, we live in a very uniquely fractured time, I think, and there's... Like, there just was no other options for seeing people before the internet. Like, if you wanted to get anything done, no matter where you were, you had to work with your neighbors, you had to go out into the city unless you were like completely self-sufficient and like lived on a farm with a large family. And even if you were self-sufficient, like you probably did live on a farm with like a multi-generational family, lots of people around all the time. Even if it was your family, you know, like grandparents were involved, cousins were involved. Like it's, it's just a different situation and like as cities became industrialized and more people immigrated to them like it was just likely since you know the mid 1800s that you were just never alone like if you were poor you probably lived in like a packed tenement housing like worked at a factory or what have you meat packing plant i don't know if you were wealthy like you probably participated in like high society balls parties like community charitable events you know like none of this should be news this is just like basic like american social history that people have always been in groups together like working like we're social being we're a social species you know places for socializing have likewise existed in tandem there have always been places to like go meet new people greece ancient greece to be clear had like symposiums for like intellectual men, which were basically like house parties that fronted as like a meeting of the minds or whatever, which like, I don't know, sounds like some shit I'd do today, but whatever. Um, as well as like, they had meeting spaces known as, I'm gonna butcher this, Kapalaya that functioned kind of like bars. Ancient China had taverns, daily social gathering situations. There've always been places to dance. Taverns are like a global, thing. Theater is a global phenomenon. Uh, everybody loves to drink. Everybody has had formal social gatherings. Even like peasants in the 14th century would go to like fairs and carnivals. They even probably had more time off than you did. Surprise, surprise. You have less time off than like a surf. Frankly, that's how it is. That's how it was. RIP to all of them. But what I want to talk about in this episode, this is sort of the, the main tangent, is the club. What is the club? Who's historically gone to the club? And why are, why are those people important? Disclaimer. <laughs> Love disclaimers in this episode because I don't want people to yell at me. A lot of this will be from like a Western perspective because that's what relates more directly to American culture and that's what this podcast is about. Um, but please feel free to comment if you're on YouTube of like non-Western examples of this or examples that I just didn't put in here because I, I would love to know more. Just throw some stuff in. Maybe you're a professor. I don't know. Tell me some stuff. Starting with social dancing, uh, which has existed throughout history, various levels of economic and social strata. From about the 14th century onward, we have historical record of court dances, large balls thrown in royal courts, courts of high-ranking members of society throughout, you know, Europe, England, 
France, Austria, Italy, the, the big places to be in the 14th century. Dances were learned and people stuck to a small variety of styles um, that were appropriate for court life. French royalty were known for extravagant balls and parties, which was partly why they were resented and what happened to them happened. Probably have a good idea of like Regency era dance from like Pride and Prejudice, those kinds of movies, Bridgerton, whatever. That Those acted as like a way for large communities of middle to upper class, specifically more upper class people, um, to get together and present their children to society. You're coming out ball, you know, um, as well as socialize and they were meant to result in like marriages and stuff you know it was a way of keeping wealth within a certain community so dance in this way has existed as a way to demonstrate social place um and in a way i guess like flex on people of like both your strata and a lower strata but eventually this idea of like large fantastic gatherings um, specifically for dance became more democratized in the u.s nightclubs became commonplace in the mid 19th century um, in major cities only, to be fair, um, primarily also in New York City. A smaller town or rural community would likely only have bars or taverns, which you could dance at. You know, there's no, no one's stopping you from bringing a fiddle or something. But no dance halls until the turn of the 20th century when dance halls or Grange, Grange halls. We had a Grange hall in Newburgh, actually. They're very... I can imagine once upon a time a Grange hall would have been a great place to be. <laughs> those became quite popular throughout the US through the 1940s. And once dance halls came into play, those also functioned sort of, I guess, like a Regency ball. It, it was more explicitly about fun. And all of this is obviously only public space. Um, private parties among all classes would have had dancing and music as long as someone was willing to play an instrument and sing a little song. It's like, it's not like dancing just became a thing in the 1800s. Like people have always loved music and moving to music. Anyway, originally nightclubs were an offshoot of vaudeville and theater. So you can think of like proto nightclubs as being like a cabaret, like the Moulin Rouge. Um, that would be the late 19th century in France. Uh, jazz clubs or speakeasies like the Cotton Club in Harlem in the 1920s, uh, as well as like honky tonks or juke joints in rural areas in the US. And most of these would have had some kind of live band or stage dancing. Only a cabaret would have been seated uh, in most cases. Uh, and more like a theater show, except you could hypothetically buy time with the dancers, similar maybe to a strip club now, and that is kind of what you were there to see. Speakeasies, honky-tonks, and juke joints would have had live music with dancing for patrons, or a jukebox, hence juke joint. So most of these in the U.S. would have been operating illegally also uh, through the 1920s, 1920 to 1933 Prohibition era. So this was not always above board. And club... History does not always tend to be above board, as I'm going to get into. After Prohibition was done away with, nightclubs exploded in more uh, major American cities, primarily big band nightclubs uh, like the Copacabana, plus jazz clubs, as I said. In Europe, France and Germany led the way for club culture with the aforementioned like cabaret culture in France, and Germany pioneering dance clubs were like queer communities were welcome. The Weimar era actually was pretty open for a lot of LGBT people. You know, it was also sort of a breaking ground for like more, you know, nightclubs as we see it today. It's basically like a discotheque. So those cultures, those European cultures, as well as black American jazz clubs, more or less sort of pioneered um, what we would conceive of now 
as a nightclub. One side note that I'm turning into a full section, so just bear with me. Um, that I I did a lot of digging on Wikipedia for this episode, and I just I fell down a l- bunch of different holes. Um, I will be placing sources in descriptions on Spotify. Also, it's going to be on screen YouTube version and it has already been on screen so enjoy that so french guys created an archetype it's sort of a a subculture called and i'm hoping i'm pronouncing this correctly zazus i'm gonna listen to a guy pronounce that out loud i feel like it's just zazu i'm really bad at french i've actually been learning french on duolingo for a couple of months now and i get it like it makes sense kind of like i understand you know the genders and whatever. Oh my god, I'm so bad at pronounce. Pronu- oh my god, it's so late at night. Pronouncing things, um, and it keeps telling me when I speak into the mic, it's like, hmm, I didn't get that. And I'm like, yeah, I bet you didn't. Thanks. Anyway, so Zazu was basically like a zoot suit guy, which in the US was like you wore a big suit and smoked cigars, and it was a subculture in LA specifically among like Latino guys. These guys would challenge each other to dance competitions is a form of resistance during the Vichy era, so World War II, which I just think kind of rocks. Like they wore big jackets and big pants and they carried umbrellas around. It was just, it was, they were on some David Byrne shit, just walking around and dancing to look intentionally like a little gay and silly uh, to piss off the military. Uh, you know, the people that were occupying their cities. Anyway, the whole thing is very silly and interesting to me. There's a quote from Christian Dior on them that I also liked, quoting that now. Hats were far too large, skirts far too short, jackets far too long, shoes far too heavy. I have no doubt this Zazu style originated in a desire to defy the forces of occupation and the austerity of Vichy. For lack of other materials, feathers and veils, promoted to the dignity of flags, floated through Paris like revolutionary banners. But as a fashion, I found it repellent. (laughs) That's fine. The response to them was actually quite serious, um, though they weren't like severely punished on average. They were derided in the press uh, by like Vichy's sympathetic journalist, well, Vichy hired journalists probably, Um, sometimes culminating in public beatings by like, you know, Nazis, uh, French Nazis. And many Zazus were affecting like gay or feminine mannerisms uh, just to fuck with people, but a lot of them actually were gay. Some were rounded up and interned in concentration camps during the war. One guy, his name is Pierre Seal, um, has talked very openly about his experiences being captured, interned. Um, many horrible things happened to him, actually. I would recommend, if you think you can handle something like that, looking it up and reading his story. It's very insane. Very difficult stuff to read, but also that I think like the average American high school student is probably not getting that perspective. In Germany, the resistance was more outwardly political and less irreverent, but it was still a little bit silly. That group was referred to as the Swing Kids or the Swing Jugend, and they were primarily teenagers. Uh, The Zazus ran a bit older, for reference, like the 20s. And these kids, the German kids, were interested in swing music or jazz music and were outwardly antagonistic to efforts to get them invested in like Hitler Youth stuff. There's one quote that I liked that everything for us was a world of great longing, Western life, democracy, everything was connected and connected through jazz. Fashion for swing kids was more inspired by British culture. Uh, They wore sports jackets, those funny like Winston Churchill hats? Is that like a pork pie hat? I don't really know. Um, And like a more manicured, like classy, you know, style for gals. They also spoke English with with each other, not German, um, which would have been a bit 
antagonistic at the time. It appears the fascination was one of unifying kind of to an ambiguous Western culture in response to pressures to be like nationalistic for Germany and subscribe to like German cultural signifiers. They often mocked Nazi lingo, saying things like swing heil, which is like a little silly, corny, whatever. Um, They were also a little homophobic. They called the Hitler youth the homo youth, uh, but they obviously loved like American and British culture and American culture specifically considering jazz was like the thing that unified around. Jazz music was, I think, fairly self-explanatorily like offensive to Nazi ideology, it being like a Black American cultural movement. Um, it was seen as promoting sexual promiscuity, which also the Hitler Youth was apparently against. They just did, they did not want to have fun <laughs> over there. However, discotheques were not legal. Those operated as places where swing kids could meet up and be normal kids, basically. They would have played music off of phonographs, would not have been live. They would have been present in most major German cities. Um, the Swing Kids did also organize more politically than the Zazus. Uh, they had break-off groups, some of which got in pretty serious trouble. So you can see how nightclub culture is, you know, a little bit political, uh, a little bit rooted in like some genuine resistance. You know, uh, it's not all just fun and games. 1960s had rock clubs, go-go dancing, Um, places like Electric Circus and CBGBs in the 1970s. Psychedelics and weed became really popular. These are places to do them. Um, But it was still very much about like music and community, community building, you know, politically organizing in the 1960s um, around music as well. Uh, Music festivals started to explode in popularity between the late 1960s and the 1990s, which obviously carries on into today to some extent, especially in the UK, they love a music festival. Actual disco came along in the 70s, leading to a plethora of places to go dance all over America specifically, um, like Studio 54 in New York, which uh, also sort of led more to bringing back like a safe space for queer people and people of color to mingle outside of like straight white dance spaces. And this is also when you start to see like 1970s, 1960s, like party drugs really take off, poppers, Coke was back, as well as like more fashion signifiers tied to club life. Um, With disco, obviously you had like the pants and everybody wore like big flashy like colors. And I I think that's all quite fun. There was significant backlash to the disco movement in the US, especially from suburbanites. The disco demolition night in Chicago was an example. About 50,000 people showed up to Comiskey Park at the behest of a shock jock radio guy. His name was Steve Dahl. He hated disco. Maybe also some other things related to disco. He invited everybody to a White Sox game where the idea was to come down to the pitch between games and destroy disco records. And it turned into basically like a riot. (laughs) There were explosions and fires and eventually the police came and and broke it up. But um, it's pretty piggy. It's a real piggy thing to do. Yeah, when disco fell out of favor, it was replaced by like New Wave and glam and punk. All these things you could kind of pick your poison in the 70s and 80s. Um, And those genres lasted ebbing and flowing um, through now, really. A a lot of our music is indebted to to new wave and punk. In terms of uh, big popular things to go and dance to, sort of started to fall out uh, around the 90s, which is when rave culture comes in. Raves were, are technically illegal. Um, at least in their like pure traditional form. It is a UK specific tradition. There's some comparative phenomena in the US, um, house culture in Chicago, which resulted in like an anti-rave ordinance um, that I learned about when I took 
a Chicago music class when I went to school in Chicago. It's still in effect the city, in the city, like to this day, like you can't play music past 2 a.m. If it's like a big group setting situation, um, you have to pay $10,000 if you're throwing a loud party anywhere past 2 a.m. Which, you know, like disco, the house scene sort of fostered like a predominantly like queer and black community. There's also like similarly like the club kids in New York, that was sort of like a Warhol revival thing. That was also very queer. Uh, a lot of people of color, they threw legal parties and raves at random locations throughout the city, as well as like going to the big clubs in the city. RuPaul was one of them. <laughs> uh, beer hung out with them as well. And it imploded because of a murder. So there you go. Um, watch Party Monster. It's a really interesting movie. Um, I think you can also kind of pinpoint rave culture to like Block parties in the Bronx in the 1970s, which were like the birthplace of hip hop. Um, those were huge outdoor and house parties that attracted hundreds of people for hours on end um, and served as a way for like artists to experiment and like obviously create a new genre. I also think you can make an argument for ballroom culture being a precursor to raves, at least in its infancy, you know, um, being somewhat of like a foremother to all of this, honestly. Um, ballroom culture has been a thing for a very long time. Over one month later. <clears throat> Hello. Um, it has been probably three weeks since I recorded the rest of this podcast. Here I am with my fucking penis microphone. And I'm sorry that it has taken me so long to get this episode out. But also I really don't think anybody cares that much. And um, the only reason I care so much is because this episode idea kind of got taken by a big YouTuber, uh, Mina Lay. I'll link the video in the description of both Spotify and YouTube. It's great. Um, she does a really good job with it. It's not about club culture, so I still have an edge. But yeah, it is about the loneliness epidemic in third spaces. So that sucks. <laughs> and that's why you need to, you need to act uh, when you have ideas. That's fun. Um, but I'm just gonna keep recording this episode and pretend that that didn't happen. Also, my battery's kind of dying. So, uh, I'm gonna try to get this fucking done. I wanna get it done, if that's even possible. Anyway, where did I leave off? Oh yeah, ballroom culture. Yeah, basically, I think a lot of things do, in a way, stem from ballroom culture. The community, uh, using, like, music and gathering around music um, as a way to express yourself uh, as apart from society, quote unquote, uh, I think is a, a thing that jazz and techno and disco and all these things have in common um, and ballroom happens to predate most of those. Yeah, just shout out to ballroom culture. I think it's great and I think if you are queer and want to do it, I would highly encourage you to do it because I think it's super cool. It'll it'll give you a community and that's a really important thing. Also, all of those above cultures caused cultural panic among like quote unquote normies, normal people, because they were gatherings of people who were already sort of othered by the society that they were in. Um, and some people don't like that, apparently. <laughs> you know, and then people would fear monger about like party drugs, ecstasy, whatever. 
um, cocaine, all of which is like, I mean, maybe you shouldn't do it in huge quantities or anything, but it's also not gonna, I shouldn't say it's not gonna kill you because it can, I'm just, I think it would be highly unlikely for the average person to die of those things if they tried it once or twice. Just saying. Anyway, um, but the use of those things, which it just happens, it happened. Probably didn't help in the like decriminalizing, that was not the right word, in the, uh, the criminalizing of these things uh, because people could point to the drug use and say, well, it's causing debauchery. Uh, and that apparently was not sympathetic, which, I uh, don't Another subculture that I wanted to talk about before we just wrap up this fucking long episode um, is rave culture, specifically in the UK. It was built around the genre of Asset House, which is an offshoot of Chicago House, uh, except it's like a little bit more abrasive, a little more like the oons oons thing. That's a little bit more Asset House than it is um, regular House, especially because House is so indebted to like disco, and I feel like Asset House is more purely techno. Although I'm not a specialist on any of these things, so don't listen to me. But if you want to like do a hot comparison of like Chicago House to like Acid House in the UK, it's sort of like Beyonce, Break My Soul, right? Would be like Chicago House. And then, and this is not me shitting on it at all, because I think it, this is great. I think it's super fun. The Spongebob episode where he's dancing with the jellyfish and it's in his house and it's like, uh, there's all the lights going. I'm gonna play a little snippet of it. That's like that. That's what that sounds like to me. To me personally, that's what that sounds like. But limited time here. So if you're interested in learning more about UK rave culture, Acid House, whatever, um, some movies that I would recommend. Uh, Nowhere, Greg Araki, 24 Hour Party People, Michael, Michael Winterbottom. <laughs> Uh, and Beats by Brian Welsh are all great movies. Go watch those if you have any interest. Uh, liked all of them, thought they were great. If you like electronic music in general, uh, it has all basically stemmed from disco. Uh, so like, as I just said, you can kind of trace like disco, Chicago house, acid house, and then a lot of stuff grew from acid house as well. So like anyone who attended those clubs was a part of those scenes would be someone that you are indebted to, basically. I personally, you know, like I love a lot of ambient music, I love UK Garage, I love IDM, and those are things that would not exist without disco. Isn't that weird? I think that's really cool, personally. Like drum and bass, too, and Eurodance. Like, you know how Eurodance is kind of like coming back and like everybody was talking about Planet of the Bass or whatever last year? That's all the same, it's all dance music, baby. And all of that sort of stems from disco and house. House stemming from disco. <laughs> anyway, I can talk myself in circles on this, but just, it's all connected. The European American dance music collective dance music experience is a great thing. I get very excited about it, if you can't tell. <laughs> anyway, what's my point here? Why am I going through all of the history of this? And I just, all of these things served as connective tissue for a wider community. And they were communities that brought together people who were very lonely, were, you know, shunned in a way by society, either were very young, were people of color, were gay, and they were able to come together around a common interest. And I think that's 
beautiful thing. One thing about rave culture in Acid House that I really appreciate is that if you go on YouTube and you look up just like, you know, rave music 1992 or whatever, um, you'll find a lot of older Gen Xers on there commenting on these videos about some of their experiences. And I saved some of these comments because I find them genuinely very heartwarming and sweet. So here's one. Um, Love this. 53 years old, remembering my 20 year old self. No drugs for me, but lots of mad dancing. Great times. Another one. Have never stopped listening to this music alongside all the new stuff that comes out. My kids are now in their 20s, grew up with it, and my son who DJs always mixes in some old school. Sorry, the audio on that bit's gonna be shit. <laughs> Whoops. I'm gonna repeat that comment because I fucking forgot to start recording. I hate myself. Anyway, started raving in 89, met my husband, also a raver in, in 91. This music has stayed in my blood and on my record deck, CD player, MP3, phone, whatever, all through the years. I'm listening to this mix now in my living room in the UK while sorting out a load of books and I keep having to get up and dance around the room. I can't keep still. That's so sweet. Anyway, last one. Uh, this is what I danced to when I first started clubbing. House music and acid and all of the new kinds were on the gay scene in Australia before anyone else heard of it. There were underground parties, parties at the Horden Pavilion every weekend that could fit 10,000 people. It was a revelation. I feel privileged to have been a part of it. That literally makes me want to cry. I just find that very sweet. Like people having these... Oh, sorry, I'm trying not to get emotional. But like these memories with music and with other people, um, I just think that's very special. <laughs> Try not to get too sincere, but I'm going to. Like these people, they live through something and they know it. And that is um, something that I think we've been deprived of, but I think we've deprived ourselves of it. I don't think it's anybody's fault. That's actually not true. I think there's a lot of people whose fault it is, but um, <laughs> I do think we've been deprived of it because they, they created something, like a place for people to go and to feel welcome and like safe and, f and free. And I think that feeling of being free is something that people just don't have in a lot of cases. And you know, a lot of these communities were welcoming to everybody. Um, and I would like to think that a lot of people in our generation are very welcoming of everybody, but I think we've also gotten to a point where, you know, no subculture is truly a subculture because anybody can just adopt any aesthetic they want. Um, and I think there's pros to that where, you know, anybody can be whatever they want, but also there's, you're sort of spoiled for choice and people don't really commit to a community. It's, I don't know. I think it's interesting that those communities really thrived in eras too, where it was really genuinely like crushingly difficult to be different, like to be a queer person, to be a person of color, to be just any kind of different. And you know, d dance music has been there for those people. And um, you know, I think that's something we can't really fathom either because I think, you know, things have opened up so much. Um, but at the same time, they haven't, right? So I don't know why people ha don't have that urge to um, organize in a positive way, <laughs> not online, in person, you know? And I, you know, even though I think those people had it a lot harder than we do, they weren't lonely people, you know? Um, like it, being a part of a scene like that sort of, you know, I'm sure there were lonely people within them, but generally, you're able to find connection in those places in a way that 
you know, the internet does not facilitate because it was it was a designated place that you went to feel certain emotions and nobody was advertising to you, you know, um, they're not making you see a certain thing. You're, you're not scrolling, you know, it's you're there for the people that you want to see. You're there for the music you want to listen to. I just I find a lot of value in that. That to me, and I know this is like a corny term to use now, but that is like real resistance to me at least, you know, like what the Zazers were doing, what the Swing Kids were doing, that is silly, but it is also a form of resistance. Like it did get them, like the shit beat out of them, you know, like it threatened, it threatened people. Um, being irreverent threatens people in power and that, I don't know, something to think about. And I think it's also sort of easy for us now to look back and think that, you know, like jazz was only a net positive and you know rave culture looks really cool and blah 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 and have a sort of positive lens on those things um but at the time they were threatening to people so i guess maybe what i'm saying there is don't get too comfortable like um push yourself to look at different communities that may not feel uh typical and question whether maybe you'd belong there if you don't that's fine but i don't know you don't have to uh you don't have to fit in all the time. And I see a lot of pushback, I think, in, in my generation as well, to the idea of club culture in general. Like, since that fucking stupid meme that I talked about ages ago, that you should be at the club thing, like, since it's become popular, I have seen, like, a lot of knee-jerk reactions to people using that terminology at all. And I think a lot of that is based in, like, sort of a false idea of what pure connection is, pure humanity maybe like i don't know there was a fucking thing on twitter after that came out that was like we need an alcohol-free queer space for adults where people can go and, and, and no friends and you can meet each other and it's like okay that first of all that exists it's called a coffee shop go look it up second of all <laughs> there are reasons why people meet to drink and dance and it's it doesn't make you like it, it makes you the opposite of antisocial. Like, it's actually like a very normal thing to want. Um, and I think it's weird that some, it seems like a lot of people think that that's not normal to want, especially as you get into your mid 20s, like I am, and I start to see people be like, oh, you know, I don't go out anymore. It's, I'm not 20. And it's like, that was only five years ago. <laughs> I don't know. You're still young. You can go out and have fun. Like, I understand if you don't like to be out late, you know, everybody has jobs, that's fair. But, I don't know, structure a day around it. Try it out. I think it's good for people. Personally, I think it's good for people. And I honestly do think as long as you don't have any problems with it, and like, it's safe for you to be around, I think being around alcohol is also not a problem for most people. Like, you can be around it, and if someone else is drinking and you don't want to drink, like, great. Three hours later. <laughs> on it. I went out, I had a glass of wine. I went to a wine and reading night, which it's, this really speaks to the topic that I was just on actually. I think that you should <laughs> attend things um, whether they are dance club related or not. I'm gonna be so inarticulate for the rest of this episode. <laughs> anyway, Yes, um, alcohol-free spaces. I think that, yeah, there, there's time and a place for something like this, right? Because obviously you need spaces where people who 
can no longer drink, have, uh, you know, are unable to drink for health reasons, addiction-related reasons, that has its place and is valuable. Um, but I also think if you don't have any issues with drinking, like being open to going to places where people are going to drink and being able to have ownership over not wanting to drink is like a skill. And it's going to lock you out of social experiences if you cannot turn those things down, but still attend the event. And I just think that's something that a lot of people haven't been able to learn because of COVID. Granted, I'm 25, so I'm talking about like a very specific subset of people, but yeah, I think if you're able to safely partake in a situation in which there is drinking, don't let that stop you, I guess, um, if you don't want to drink. I don't know. I think a lot of people rely on like online <laughs> Life is a substitute for social interaction, and eventually you're going to have to get to a point where going to parties or going to an event, um, it, it, that's going to have to replace the online social stuff because it's so much less fulfilling <laughs> to be fully social online. This was actually something I talked to someone about when I was at the event, which is that, so they were doing grad school online, I have worked online for a couple of years now. Now I'm half in the office. Um, and I just think being able to be, this is like work related, right? But being able to be in an office and like read people's body language and understand where they're coming from in person gives you so much of a better grasp on who that person is. The interaction feels more real because it's more real. But I think it's easy to forget that when you've been stuck online for so long and like they were saying that basically you get so much more exhausted with social interaction even when it's online because it's so hard to escape and it's it feels this is now me putting words in their mouth but <laughs> something about it is um just more draining than a social situation in person and i think that's why so many people feel like they don't enjoy being social quote unquote is because so much of it has taken place online and not face-to-face -face where it's supposed to. Anyway, I'm super drunk, so I'm gonna try to wrap this up. Another thing is that I think a lot of people my age specifically have this idea of what going out looks like from like 2000s pop culture, where it was like Paris Hilton like getting fucked up at a club and getting arrested for coke, or like going to the Jersey Shore. And then, you know, as I said earlier, like, I don't know, that's just not, how it looks in real life like like the hills is maybe a good example like going to the clubs and doing bottle service is like not how it works that's not unless you're in LA and that's not even what most people in LA do like generally I feel like at least for me going out looks like finding like a themed night but like tonight wine and reading so <laughs> you go you have a glass of wine and then you have a book in front of you and you read the book that's great that's a good night out. And you still get to talk to people in between the reading because it was timed. Like that is a perfect event for so many people that I think are trying to acclimate themselves back to being in person, but it's also probably not available to most of you. I'm so sorry, but you could probably try to find something like that in your city if you want to, or if you're in Portland, go to Ethereal Reflections Instagram and go to the next one and see me, say hello to me. Anyway, I just, there's so many things you can do. You can go to a local show, you can find a band that you like, you can find a themed bar. I don't know, Portland's lousy with themed bars. <laughs> We've got like a clown bar and a goth bar 
and we've got we've got a clown bar. And these are like good opportunities too to like support the arts in your city, you know, like go to a gallery opening. Like that's something that Amelia and I, my friend and I, who I went out with tonight had done. You know, there's so many other things you can do besides dancing. I know that was my big uh, tangent for this episode. And like, that's what makes me happy. But you need to find something that makes you happy. You could go to a board game store and play board games with people. You could, that sounds to me like a nightmare, but if that is what makes you happy, then you should try something like that. <laughs> I mean, even like, I feel like we have bars here in Portland too, where you can, oh, we've got a lot of arcade bars in Portland. You could go play video games with people. There's like Smash tournaments and Mario Kart tournaments and things you can do. You could do like a cleanup of a park. You could like, I don't know, contribute to your community in a positive way and also meet people doing it. There's so many amazing things that you can do outside of your house. Take a class, a pottery class? Oh my god. I'm coming up with so many amazing ideas right now, and you should take one. <laughs> uh, I will say, and this is the last uh, portion of this episode, um, some of these options are becoming more and more scarce depending on where you live because of the erosion of third spaces. So I think the most important step in remedying the loneliness epidemic, the loneliness pandemic, the loneliness problem is creating more third places. By third places, I mean options other than bars and coffee shops and restaurants. Places where you have to spend money, basically. You know, coffee shops and bars are easy places to go to, but they do cost money. You can rack up a lot of spending at a bar. Um, a coffee shop, you know, increasingly seems to get more and more expensive. You know, a pure third place, in my estimation, would be like a park or a library, like a place where you are not spending money to be there. The idea is just for you to loiter to your heart's content and meet people. You know, they're not for-profit, they're potentially owned by the city. And if you don't live in a city, at least in the US, that is an incredibly hard thing to find. Like I'm from an outer suburb where we had very few public parks. We had, you know, area by the river, but it didn't feel super like hospitable to kids. Um, we had a skate park, which is great if you're a skater, but not so much if you're not. And otherwise, there weren't that many places to go if you didn't drive specifically, and also if you didn't want to spend money. You know, more specifically, not having a car is a big barrier to entry for a lot of people in the US um, if you want to try to find a place to hang out. And that is just no good. Like, I think a lot of people in America are very familiar with the vision of like a long highway with just fast food in it and gas stations and like used car dealerships and nothing stimulating and nothing worth you going to with friends. Why would you go to McDonald's with friends? Uh, you could go to McDonald's with friends, but it would be a little bit depressing, I think. And if you do see like a third place in one of these kinds of towns, like usually it's like a strip club or a diner, which thank God for Sherry's, where <laughs> I'm from, Sherry's was our diner. It's a chain in Oregon. Um, and that is where we spent a lot of our time as teenagers because that was the only place you could go. There was a yogurt shop for a little while, like a froyo place. Um, that wasn't a place you could hang out at for very long. And there was a coffee shop. And those were the only places you could go that weren't like openly hostile to you hanging out and being a teenager and having a good time. And frankly, even the diner would get a little bit pissed off at us at some point, like, because we were there being annoying. But it's, I think, very difficult specifically to be a young person in these kinds of places because there's nowhere 
for you to go let off that energy, which is why I think also in a lot of suburbs you see like heavy drug use in kids, drug abuse specifically, and just getting into trouble because there's nothing for kids to do besides get into trouble. And it's not positive. It's not a good thing. We've failed as a nation. But what is a third place? What is the actual definition? Third place concept was invented by a sociologist named Ray Oldenburg in a 1989 book called The Great Good Place, uh, defined as a place neither home nor work. So home being the first place, work being the second place, and third place being the place where you go to hang out and have a good time. Uh, it's just for getting your jollies in a completely non-sexual way. Sometimes, most of the time. Third place is primarily defined by, and these are the bullet points that I wrote defining it. Lack of obligation. So you don't have to be there to work. You aren't there to do anything. You're there by choice. You're there to have a time that you want to have. It should exist as a place to meet others, either strangers or friends. Community has grown around the space, so there's people that you are familiar with there eventually. You know, you, you start to literally grow a community. Um, and the primary objective is to play. Uh, some other examples of a third place that I didn't mention are like gyms, malls, game stores, bowling alleys, arcades, uh, and is there any, any other kind of place you can get food? I don't know, like a food cart pod maybe? Would all be third places, although those are places where you would go to spend money. Technically that could be considered your objective, but generally you're there to be away from home and work. There are some, I think, valid arguments that online space counts as a third place as well. You know, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Reddit. These are places that do exist to create community, like to foster connection between people, even though they're not in person, you know. Um, but being able to use those sites to make friends has felt more and more difficult, I think, in recent years. Although you can still like get involved in trends and, you know, feel like you're a part of a community. I think they also make it quite easy for you to passively be in a community and like watch other people tweet, watch other people make posts, um, so you feel like you're involved in a community when you're really actually not. You're just experiencing it, but nobody else knows that you exist, right? So is it really a community? I also just don't think they should be the only third place, and I think it has felt recently like that is where Many people would rather we go because you spend more money when you're online, or at least you have more chances of spreading that money among many different kinds of businesses versus going to one restaurant where only those people benefit or one bar where only those people benefit, you know what I mean? And depending on your location, as I said earlier, a lot of those communities, I think, like I get frustrated quite frequently that a lot of Twitter seems like it's happening in New York City. So it's like, that's not even really my community anyway. You know, like, my, technically my community is in Portland. So, I don't know. I think it's it's good and it's bad. Anyway, back to location, though, and the lack of third places. Living in Portland, I feel like we have a lot of options. Like, I have many places that I can just choose to go to regularly. You know, I have my tea shop I go to. I have bars I go to. I, you know, my favorite restaurant is, like, a building away from me. It's, you know, these are places that I can go to meet friends whenever I want. Whereas, yeah, if you live anywhere else in the U.S. besides a major city, major city in my mind being anywhere over like 500,000 people, um, you know, that's going to be more and more difficult. And, you know, when you get to towns that are like under 50,000 people, you're really squeezed for things to go do. And even some big cities, like I've, I've heard I've never been to Texas, but I've heard that Texas is basically like a bunch of strip malls, even the big cities, and I think that's like 
whack. Why is it like that? If you live in one of those like smaller towns, I just feel like if you're a young person specifically, I don't know if it's healthy the way... Well, I don't... You can be healthy in those places. I just... I don't think the way it's been set up is particularly healthy. The like strip mall after strip mall thing, or like McDonald's after McDonald's, and everything closes after like 8 p.m. I just... I don't... It ain't great. I've got a bone to pick with city planners. Especially if you don't live around like the main downtown section of your city. You it could be screwed if you don't have a car. Like literally screwed for social interaction. And that really sucks. I just, I can't, I can't fathom it. And I will say also in some cities, I think third places could kind of be considered as dwindling because of lack of like infrastructure. And this is not me saying anything about the people that I'm talking about. Okay, let me try to be really articulate about this because I want to like provide some sensitivity to the situation. But I think in a lot of cities there are a lot of people having mental health crises like actively in a lot of third places and that makes it feel like you can't go there because you're in someone else's space. Like there are some parks in my neighborhood that I would consider unviable for hanging out with people because there are other people living there and it makes me feel like I am intruding on their home because I am. You know, the closest library to me I also don't feel like I can go to because it's got like guards outside because they don't want people coming inside that look a certain way. And there's people living outside of it because our city has failed <laughs> in a lot of ways. And it's impacting everybody, especially the people that are living on the street. But yeah, I think it sometimes feels like it's hard to find places to go hang out that are outdoors specifically. Um, in my city, being a West Coast city, which, you know, homelessness is a big problem on the West Coast of America. <laughs> Who would have thought that? Like, there's either no funding to, I don't know, put more effort into making those locations seem more viable, or into helping people get mental health services or housing, and it's, it's, it's taking a toll on the social atmosphere, which is not the most important thing in that conversation for sure. But um, while we're on the topic, I guess, I feel like it was worth mentioning. So if you want many parks to go to and healthy third spaces in your city, um, I think maybe you should advocate for housing for everybody. Just an idea. Or also, very specifically, I think advocating for like drug and mental health services. Drug addiction and mental health services. Um, because specifically, I think in those cases, usually um, many of the people involved are drug users and it would be great if they could receive help for those things. Anyway, this is all sort of a big jumble of just reasons why the US is fucked up. But anyway, I got to thinking about this topic because I saw set of TikToks recently by the same person. She's a millennial and she says, I paraphrased it, but she's basically was like, I don't know what Gen Zers do for fun. When I was younger, we went out, you know, we engaged in club culture, we went to a mall or, you know, we did things outside and that doesn't seem very popular anymore. So she was wondering what Gen Z did for fun and all like, all of the answers and I know it probably like the algorithm is like putting the most depressing answers at the top for some reason 
but a lot of the comments from kids, like people younger than me, because I consider myself sort of like a millennial Gen Z hybrid, is a millennial, which is why my podcast with Michaela is called Zillennial Breakdown. But anyway, a lot of these comments were like, I don't have fun, <laughs> um, I watch Netflix, I stay home. And it's, they don't even say that they have hobbies when they stay at home, just that they sit at home and they are on their phone. And that makes me really sad. Like, I'm not trying to be like a downer or like exaggerate, but like that is something that you should not accept as your reality. Just like, full stop, I think you should try to not accept that as your reality. And I know a lot of that's probably depression and it feels like you can't leave your house and I know I just listed a bunch of reasons why it's very hard to go out in America, but I think we need to tr start trying. <laughs> This is me saying we need to start trying. You know, I have to assume a lot of these people too are people that just do not have friends. Like they don't have friends that they knew well in high school even, um, or if they do, maybe those friends went to college away from them or they went to college away from their friends and they're no longer connected and they weren't able to make friends in school or they didn't go to school and they didn't make friends with their coworkers. Like there's a lot of failures that happen there in, in connection that I think in some ways are quite natural, but in other ways I think people get very lazy because you can just pick up your phone and text someone or check out what they're doing online. And that's just, um, you need to make an in-person effort, but it often doesn't feel like we're incentivized to do that. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to get to a place where there's no one to go out with, I guess is what I'm saying, and I have sympathy for that. But like genuinely, I think everybody should be putting in effort to make connections with other people if you don't have any. There's there's ways to do that, and I've listed a bunch in this this episode. It's just it's something I've been in the process of learning as an adult, especially in the past like year or so, that you do have to put in that effort and it is on you to make friends. Like it's not just gonna happen to you. And people will your parents will say, oh honey, it will just happen. It does not just happen anymore. You have to put in the effort. I'm telling you, you have to go outside and do it yourself. And that is hard and it sucks and that is the situation we've been put in and I'm just saying sometimes you got to push past the suck. That's my, my quote of the day. If you're not in school, if you're not working in person, I, you have to put an effort in to make friends. There's no other way and it sucks. And I, my next episode of the pod actually is about dating apps because I have a good friend, Michaela, who I have my other podcast with and they are on the apps. Um, they're soul-sucking. So I kind of want to talk to them about the apps because I've not been on the apps for three years because I'm in a relationship. Um, and I think unfortunately, dating apps are some of the main ways that people my age do make friends. But if you're in a relationship, that's obviously not going to be an option aside from Bumble BFF, which like kind of sucks. I just, I don't think dating apps even should be your way. The internet is not even your way to make friends, to be honest. Like, messaging somebody on Instagram, I will say, is good. Like, messaging somebody that you follow, that you are mildly friends with or whatever, and being like, let's go get coffee. I think that's a really great thing to do. But to find people you don't know, I actually do not know how good it is at establishing friend connections instead of, like, just dating connections. Because, like, I met my boyfriend on Tinder. I'm not going to knock dating apps for, like actually getting you dating somebody. All of my adult friends I've made have been either through my boyfriend, like his friends and their girlfriends. It's been through really trying to pursue friendships at work, or it's like been talking to neighbors. 
it's weird. <laughs> you really gotta like try. It's crazy. So I guess, I don't know, my recommendation there is like, if you just see someone in your daily life and you're like, I think I can be friends with them, just go ask them to hang out. They'll probably be flattered and if they're not, then they weren't gonna be a good friend to begin with and you don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't know. It's scary, but you also eventually will get less scared of it. Like today when we were talking to a new person at the, the wine and reading night, I was just like, so what's your life story? <laughs> you know? Like, what is your job? What do you do? What are your passions? And like, she seemed really receptive to it. And that, I think people just like to be asked about themselves. And it's not that scary once you start doing it. I'm losing steam. <laughs> so that's all I have to say. But I'm just, I'm very passionate about this. If you couldn't tell by this long meandering episode. And I think everybody should be passionate about connecting with other people. 2024 is the year of fun and liberation. That is my vow to myself. I think I'd said on Twitter that it was the year of fun and libations, but I'm changing it to fun and liberation because first of all, I think that it would be great to see people feel more politically liberated, but also um, personally liberated. So I just, I think we all need to go out and we need to have a good time and we need to start acting normal. <laughs> and I would, I would love to see it. Just one more reminder, if you're gonna count me about COVID safety, just know that like, I don't go out if it's gonna make you sick. As long as you're vaccinated and you're taking all the precautions, that's just life from now on. If you are not gonna be seriously like gravely affected by it. I think wearing a mask is a really good way to get back into things if that's still something that you worry about in your day-to-day -day life. Definitely something that preoccupied me for a couple of years, but I've done my best to make my peace with it, I guess, and like continue to watch my health. So reminder, I guess, to watch your health and wear a mask if you're sick also. But yeah, I just, it's something that we have to like learn to live around, I think. And many people have been the entire time, many service workers, you know, nurses and doctors and your barista. Use your best judgment, I guess is all I'm gonna say. Before I dig myself further into any holes, um, I don't know if I have any recommendations in this one, except one movie and one, two books, actually. I am gonna say I loved Poor Things. That's the last movie I saw in the theaters before this episode, which was so long ago now because I've been writing this episode forever, it seems like, and putting it off uh, because I knew it was gonna be long <laughs> and arduous, and it has been, but I think it's gonna be worth it. Um, but I thought Poor Things was great. I think it's very in theme with this episode, you know, um, putting yourself through a journey to rediscover who you are or discover who you are in the first place. If you never discover who you were, which I think many people probably haven't, I just, it was a good, it's a good movie that made me want to like get up and do something with my life. And I just, how many movies do that? Felt, um, sure, it's a very fun and weird and gross movie that not everybody will like, but I did love. And for books, I, read recently um, Sweet Bitter, which my boyfriend is a bartender slash server, and it just gave me a lot of insight into that life. It's about a um, girl moves to New York City, becomes a server at like a fancy restaurant. Um, and it's very in the lingo, like 
honestly, it's, if you like the bear, you'd probably like Sweet Bitter. It's like very similar in that way where it's like you're in the kitchen and it's very intense and you're like always moving from one scene to the next and it flows very well. Um, so I enjoyed that. I liked the pros in that a lot. And then I also just finished reading, I think Berlin is back here by B. Sutton. Yeah, that one was a weird read. It's about a girl woman my age uh, moves to Berlin after sort of having a falling out with her roommate and um, bounces from apartment to apartment and like gets herself into some weird situations due to her like declining mental state and like an eating disorder and like all these things happening in her brain um, that I found very relatable without making you think that I'm really mentally ill because I'm not <laughs> but I've been in situations where like you're so I guess like you really want to make the best of a situation but you keep screwing it up and also you keep wanting to restart your life but you can't I think was the main one of the main themes of the book and like not really liking yourself that much so like using you know travel as like a way to like try to like yourself more I don't know it was a very, very good book, and I think that I would love to read another thing from B. Sutton. Yeah, that was a great book, as I'm talking about it. Uh, very dark, though. Heavy themes. You've been warned. Uh, that is all for this episode. I love you. <laughs> if you're still listening to this, like, an hour and a half in, um, thank you. And if you are not... You're not hearing this anyway. Um, yeah, follow the podcast. Give it a five-star rating on Spotify if you really like me. Um, give it a like if you're on YouTube. Or give a comment because I'd love to hear from you. I'd like to know your thoughts on this. Sorry if I got a little, like, judgmental <laughs> or aggressive in my, in my opinions on this episode because, like I said, I just, I'm just a little passionate about it. So don't get mad at me. Uh, but if you do also, that's fine. Honestly, I can live with that. <laughs> so, the end. For me, one request. Go make a plan. Make a plan for next week with a friend. Or just plan to go sit at a bar. Or plan to go dancing. Find a show. Get tickets and go. Thank you. All right. <laughs>